Love Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, April 27, 2021, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. Our very special guest this evening is Marguerite Mary Rigoglioso, Ph.D., who is the foremost authority on the history of virgin birth and has taught graduate and undergraduate courses in both the United States and the United Kingdom. The founding director of Seven Sisters Mystery School, she is the author of The Cult of Divine Birth in Ancient Greece and Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity. Delving into one of the Virgin Mary's, Virgin Mary's forgotten gospels, the infancy gospel of James, um, Marguerite reveals a truth that has been suppressed for nearly two millennia that Mother Mary was not a passive bystander to her own pregnancy, but an advanced member of a sacred order of women trained in divine conception. Unlocking the hidden codes of Mary's gospel and other ancient source texts, the author reveals how Mary conceived Jesus through a careful process that she willed and initiated. She will explain how Mary was born into a family of powerful priestesses, women who possessed cultivated and passed on the ability to consciously conceive elevated beings to help the planet. This lineage includes Mary's own mother, Anne, who conceived Mary with this method and um, uh, lost my place, her relative Elizabeth, mother of John the Baptist, and the biblical matriarch Sarah, the wife of Abraham and mother of Isaac. These women were schooled in the shamanic womb mysteries, secret knowledge of the capacity of the womb. Decoding the infancy gospel of James, Marguerite shows how Mary was trained and initiated, reveals the esoteric techniques she used to conceive Jesus, and explores the birth itself and the mind-altering reality that accompanied it. And you can check out her website, which is Seven Sisters mysteryschool.com at the top of the show it's anastasia's starseed news bringing topics of interest to starseeds not normally heard in the mainstream we'd like to thank kathy for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest we have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com and it's a safe place to connect with other starseeds thanks to Tammy's continual dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here, and you'll get our biweekly show notices if you enable those. Our main website is starseedhotline.com. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one Zoom session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, Emerald, Miara, Riley, or myself. 
Lavendar sessions are available now for her established clients only and have been redesigned to focus on your solar return, covering your natural state, your rites of passage and masterships, as well as covering your solar return and current transits. So you'll be getting everything in a one-hour session, which will be scheduled ideally just before your birthday. Riley, Emerald, and Miara are now available for the live stage two sessions, so you'll be able to have a starseed consultation in a matter of weeks rather than months. Remember, if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss your 10 hours of power because you get a window of great manifestational ability. And you can find out exactly when that will happen by requesting your solar return timing. And that usually takes less than a week. But if you do want the stage two interpretation of that chart, Emerald, Riley, and Miara are also available for those with very little waiting. But with me, you'll need, or Ariel, you'll need to order at least six months ahead to make sure you get it before your 10 hours starts. So do check out the new pages on our website. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Well, good evening, Ariel. Hello, everybody, on this beautiful hey. spring evening. Goodness sakes, we are almost into the month of May. Isn't that staggering? Yeah. But it is welcome. It is welcome. Well, we've had some news up in the sky. Pretty important news, really. They say that there has been a colossal solar flare that may have wiped out alien life on another planet. Well, it's not our sun, thank goodness, but it was one of the biggest flares ever recorded in the Milky Way. Scientists just witnessed the largest solar flare ever recorded from the closest star to our sun called Proxima Centauri. This was a flare so big that scientists think it may have spelled doom for any life present on nearby exoplanets that are orbiting that star, and that is shaping our hunt for life beyond Earth's solar system. This is according to a recent study published in the journal, The Astrophysical Letters. It may have changed the game of where life can be found. Now, while Proxima Centauri is small, it's also very powerful. It's positioned only 20 uh, trillion miles from our sun, or, get this, four light years. This is a sun to a couple of other planets, one of which they have believed would resemble Earth. Now, this little sun, really little, is one-eighth the mass of our sun. And for 40 hours, watching it through nine telescopes, scientists detected this flare that released deadly radiation spewing out from its surface, the most violent flare ever seen in the Milky Way. And this Proxima Centauri transformed from its normal radiation levels to 14,000 times brighter when it was viewed as ultraviolet wavelengths. They say this was a startling and spectacular transformation that occurred in only a few seconds. Now, seeing this rare event occur with such abruptness could change the paradigm that defines the way scientists think about solar flares. This enormous flare probably meant uh, destruction for any alien life that was still alive on this sun's orbiting Earth-like planet. They tell us that a lot of the exoplanets that we found so far uh, orbit around these types of stars. But the catch is that they're way more active than our sun. They flare much more frequently and intensely. 
This latest study provided one of the most in-depth anatomies of a solar flare from any Milky Way star. Again, it lasted only seven seconds, and the surge in ultraviolet and radio was both extremely scary and unprecedented. But with this new data, now they are saying they can better grasp how stars generate flares. This will expand the current view, which happens to hold that bursts of energy and flares happen when magnetic fields near the surface of a star twists and snaps in a violent explosion. So they're going to be looking into that. Um, maybe other things can cause these kinds of flares. But it was an amazing event. They were really astonished by it. And by the way, they said that the, that the life forms on these other planets that are orbiting uh, Proxima Centauri would not have been human-like, um, very different life forms based on the chemistry of those exoplanets. But nevertheless, they think that there probably isn't anything left on the nearby planets. Um, they'll probably have to start all over again. Well, in health, let's talk about a brand new thing, which is shocking and wonderful. They have developed bionic vision. Uh, it's going to let blind people see again. This is right on the edge of development. This is a transformative technology that's making bionic vision a reality for anyone who's lost their sight. It, it has been developed by a bioelectrics company that just won the Health Tech Award 2020 for its next-gen vision technology that's designed to enable vision for completely blind people. This is according to their press release. This uh, vision system consists of a photovoltaic substitute of photoreceptors that enables the simultaneous use of central and peripheral natural vision for people with age-related macular degeneration, otherwise known as AMD. While still under development right now, the technology is undergoing continued study during this big trial, and they say this is the last step before this bionic vision goes to market in Europe. It's going to go to Europe first. They also tell us that some 285 million people around the world are visually impaired, with about 39 million that experience complete blindness. 200 million people out of that 285 visually impaired people, out of that 200 million are living with AMD, age-related macular degeneration, and every day there are 365,000 people diagnosed with it. So there's a real urgent need for this technology. They say there's never been a cure for blindness. But now with this synthetic alternative to the human eye, they say now we have a meaningful treatment right on the horizon. By any other age, any other generation, they would have only defined that as a miracle. So there's technology put to good use. Well, you know, I had my lawn mowed the other day. Maybe some of you have been doing it for a while. It depends on your climate, where you've been living. And the smell of grass was so sweet. My goodness, and the birds were chirping, and my garden spot was just sitting there staring at me. <laughs> and it's beckoning me to get busy. And I found a story that talks about gardening, and it tells us that gardening twice a week is good for you. You may not be surprised by that, but they've actually done a study. And according to this study, which was posted on Science Direct, if you garden just two to three, three times a week, um, you will have a much healthier life and much lower stress levels. It will improve you all the way around. Now, how did they do this study? Well, they distributed a, que a questionnaire within the U.K. 
they interviewed 5,766 gardeners and only 249 non-gardeners that responded. But they collected the data on factors such as the type of garden, the frequency of gardening, and individual perceptions on health and well-being. Well, they tallied all that up, and they tell us that this is the first time the, quote, dose response, end quote, to gardening has been tested, and the evidence overwhelmingly suggests that the more frequently you garden, the greater your health benefits. In fact, gardening every day has the same positive impact on well-being than undertaking regular vigorous exercise like cycling or running. Wow. I think that's amazing. We would all tend to default and think that cycling and running was a better workout. According to this study, you can garden frequently and get the same benefits. They also tell us that when gardening, our brains are pleasantly distracted by the nature around us, of course. No news to this crowd. They go on to say that this shifts our focus away from ourselves and our stresses, thereby restoring our minds and reducing negative feelings. And I will add, we are able to trade energy with the earth and the living things around us. Very health-giving on an energetic uh, way, which this article doesn't address. They say that people don't garden to improve their health. They garden because it gives them peace and they have a lot of rewards from doing it. But researchers tell us that Um, the more we do it, the better off we're going to be. And you can't overdose gardening. You might overdose cycling or working out in the gym. You might run too much and pull a muscle, but gardening, you can't overdose on it. So it's a good thing for a lot of people to think about doing, for lots of spiritual reasons as well, not just emotional, psychological, and physical, but spiritual. So I'm going to recommend you all that you get out and make a garden. If you live in the city, you don't have a spot to plant something, get some pots. You know, they make hanging tomato plants and all kinds of very creative ways to garden now. They garden on lattices and uh, all kinds of ways. So you want to feel better. You want to get in touch with your own spirituality more. You want to connect to Earth's energies. Wow, she's out there waiting for you to get your hands in her. And the little, ant, the little plants are waiting for you to plant them. So I hope that you can do that. All right. Well, there's lots of talk out there about ending gasoline and fuel, fossil fuel dependency. I'm sure you've heard about it. They plan on about by 20, uh, what is it, 2030 or so, completely eliminating all gas-operated vehicles and going to electric and so on and so forth. They're probably going to wiggle in some nuclear energy. Who knows? there's big industry behind all of it, but let's just talk for a moment about autonomous cars. Um, There's a problem with autonomous cars that we may not have ever thought about. Um, And by the way, in 2040, they tell us there's going to be 33 million autonomous vehicles on the road, driving themselves, guys, 33 million in just 19 years. And they tell us that this will eliminate some of the dangers posed by human motorists, you know, those fallible people, you know, us. But they say um, that's because artificial intelligence isn't prone to road rage, uh, distracted driving, or falling asleep at the wheel. Yes, humans have their flaws, but they say AI will take care of that. However, there are other concerns, and some I'm sure they haven't even thought of yet, that we should keep in mind when imagining a future where our computer takes the wheel. Because, surprise, surprise, algorithms aren't perfect. 
because they're designed by humans, and humans are, as they have told us, fallible. And they sometimes reflect the bias of their creators. Algorithms can only learn from the examples that they're given. And if they're not given enough examples of, let's say, diverse populations, it'll be harder to recognize them in practice. What is that about? Well, they have discovered that autonomous cars can't recognize pedestrians with darker skin tones. So the way they are programmed, they will run over a dark-skinned person and avoid a light-skinned person, possibly, potentially. Um, This year, the Law Commission began drawing up a legal framework for autonomous vehicles uh, into the UK roads. And they discovered, in the process of doing this, that AI won't be able to recognize dark-skinned faces in the dark. And also that people with disabilities who are using canes or wheelchairs may also not be recognized by AI. Uh, Mobility scooters, things like that, the car won't recognize them, and of course that puts them in danger because these AI cars are trained to automatically brake and avoid collisions. But with dark-skinned people or people with uh, disabilities, the car doesn't see them. So researchers from Georgia Tech... Uh, undertook uh, an investigation of eight AI models and studied the systems. Um, They found that uh, accuracy of the AI system decreased uh, by 5% um, when it was presented with images of people with dark skin tones or pedestrians with handicaps. So 5% doesn't seem like much, but if you're one of the 5% that a car doesn't recognize and you happen to be crossing the road, well... Anyway, just something to think about. Um, AI isn't perfect either. So there you have it. Now let's talk about some happy stuff, some really cool stuff. This is a great story. A woman has a physical condition which is going to limit her time on Earth. And ever since she was a little girl, she's wanted to go to Egypt. And her son, a young boy, not I mean he's a man, but young, He's making her wish a reality. Um, Now, this woman didn't just want to go to Egypt alone. She wanted to take her whole family. She wanted to take her husband and all of her kids. Well, how are they going to make that happen? They're not rich people. But her son works as a middle school teacher in Philadelphia. And how is he going to afford to pay a trip to Egypt for 14 family members? So he decided he'd raise money by selling cheesesteaks. So he used Instagram and he spread his story about his mother who doesn't have long to live and her desire to see Egypt. And almost immediately, cars started double parking outside his house. People he didn't even know started showing at his front door. Um, They did 94 cheesesteaks in one day and they were just blown away, he said. And also a food truck operator offered his services. And in just six weeks, this young boy had raised all the money he needed and then some. He made $18,000. The trip is planned in October, and his mother says, Cleopatra never had it so good, she said. Uh The love, it's overwhelming, you know, she said. Wow, isn't that great? Yeah. It's great. People can be so amazing. Here's a really cool story. You know, there's so many cool things going on right now, really. In spite of everything, we see the world just creeping in the right direction. Uh, just little cracks appearing in the fissure of reality where changes are occurring. In this case, this is happening in Spain. And in Spain, uh, they've decided to give pets the same rights as human beings. 
there's this new law that classifies cats, dogs, and other domestic animals as living beings that have feelings with regard to inheritances or custody disputes related to divorce. This means that when judges decide who should have the family dog, they almost they also must consider the welfare of the animal, as they would do if they were dealing with children. Under the new law, mistreatment of pets will also be regarded as a crime if the owner had abused as if the owner had abused another person. Now if someone finds an abandoned pet, they have a public duty to try to locate the owner or inform the authorities as they would do if they had come across a lost child. <sighs> the civil Aww. rights lawyer doing this said, and I quote, This shows that we are changing our mentality and see animals as living beings with the capacity to feel pain, happiness, sadness, and are nothing like a piece of furniture or something to show off. Now, Spain is joining France, Germany, Austria, and Portugal, which are the other European countries which have just given pets the same legal status. The politician who said she was honored to present this law to Parliament said, We should accept that animals are not objects. They are living beings which feel and suffer. (sighs) Terrific. Yeah. Unbelievable. Long overdue. You know, I read some of these articles to share with you, and I think about, I always like Star Trek Next Generation. I would like that. Uh, Kind of old tech now, but anyway. um, Not really old tech, but old, old production. And I often thought they portray a, an idealistic society where just these kinds of things would occur. Not harming animals, um, sharing one's resources, all of these things. It really is a sign of advancement on our evolution that we can do such things. I think it's wonderful. Well, anyway, uh, here's a great story. <laughs> Excuse me, one guy doing a good deed. The this story started in December of last year, 2020. And two little girls who are four-year-old twins that live in Kansas released some uh, helium balloons with their Christmas lists attached to them. They wanted to send it to the North Pole to Santa. So their mother bought them some helium balloons and tied their Christmas lists and launched the balloons. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Well, a man in Louisiana actually found one of these balloons. And guess what he did? He played Santa and he honored the girls' wishes. Now, the twins' mother, in the meantime, said that she had no expectations that anyone was going to respond to these balloons. Who knows what's going to happen to them? But one of the balloons that was found by a guy that lives in Grand Cane, Louisiana, well, uh, he took to social media. He wanted to find out who sent the balloons. He said, I found this in the woods. Would love to know when it was launched. Looks like it traveled over 600 miles. Feel free to share. Well, when he found the, the list, he, the letter, he said, I opened it, and it was a Christmas list. I just had to do something for him, he said. And people began sharing stories. Everybody was trying to trace where in the world this list came from. Hundreds of people got involved, family, friends, strangers. Well, with their help, this good Samaritan, Santa stand-in, found these children's mother. And he wrote on his uh, Facebook page or social media, he said... The family was found through many shares, thanks everyone who helped. We've heard from the mom, and they're going to work with her to figure out the best way to grant her daughter's wishes. Stay tuned. So what did he do? He went shopping. 
He got all the gifts on the girls' list, with the exception of the puppy, and he shipped them all to the household. Well, he didn't stop there. He and his wife personally bought a puppy for these twins. They put the puppy in their car, and they drove hours from Louisiana to Kansas to give this puppy to the children in person. Oh. List complete. Wow. Well. Wow. All right. Last story for tonight. This is this is amazing. Um, a dog rescued another dog from a swimming pool. Uh, there was a couple, there is a couple, who have a Pomeranian. His name is Chucky. And Chucky nearly drowned in their swimming pool just last week. The couple was gone. They were not at home. The only other person at home was the bull terrier named Jesse. And Jesse was there to save the day. This man and the woman, when they came home that afternoon, they were confused. Because the dogs, they came home and found the dogs soaking wet. They didn't have any idea what was going on, so they decided to check their security cameras, which is when they discovered that Chucky had fallen into the pool and was treading water for 34 minutes until Jesse, the bulldog, or the bull terrier, pulled him out. She said, we still struggle to watch that video today just thinking of what could have happened if Jesse was not there. I'm really oh. proud of her. He said that Jesse was a rescue dog, a a dog adopted from the SPCA four years ago, and it's the best dog they ever had. So now what are they doing? Well, they're planning to install a pool cover to avoid another accident in the future. But isn't that something? What a story. Okay, in honor of dogs and life and goodness, after all, uh, spelled backward, dog is God, so let's celebrate dog. I want to give you a quote from none other than Andy Rooney, who said, The average dog is a nicer person than the average person. (laughs) So there you go. I think we all can agree with that. So there you have it. From my heart to each one of you, everybody, have a beautiful couple of weeks. Enjoy the spring. I hope you get out and spend time in nature, do a little planting. Soak some seeds, maybe some lemon seeds or some avocado seeds or some kind of seed in a glass of water, some of your fruit. Sprout it at home. Put it in a pot. Enjoy life. Feel the beauty and wonder of Mother Nature. You know, we're talking about divine mothers tonight, and I just want to say that Mother Earth is the most divine of all, and we need to sink our toes into her, celebrate her, celebrate life. Brought us into being, and we can do the give back in the Native American way. Let's plant some seeds and share that kind of energy and experience the joy that comes with it. Get some sun, smell some flowers, feel happiness, love life. And I love all of you. So thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next time, Ariel. Thank you. Oh, good. Great, great, great um, articles tonight. Thank you so much, Anastasia. And we will talk to you next time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, so now I'm going to get uh, Lavendar and our guest, Marguerite. Get your mics open. Okay. Lavendar, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Marguerite, welcome to the show. And Lavendar, take it away. 
Okay. So, Marguerite, I'm so happy to have you on our show because when your book came in, I got so excited that I wanted to, to, to schedule you right away. The, the Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception. So I'm so happy to hear that you have taken the time to investigate all of this and to bring it to light. So welcome, and what is the premise of your book? So just take it away, girl. Thank you so much. It's delightful to hear about this level of excitement. Uh, yeah, you know, it, so the full title is the, the Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception, and then the subtitle is Mary and the lineage of virgin births. So basically what this book does is it draws on my previous two books that were listed at the beginning of the show um, where I explore how divine birth was an actual practice of holy women in antiquity. I was looking specifically at ancient Greece, but this tradition apparently was throughout the entire ancient Mediterranean world, North Africa, and well beyond into West Asia and basically on every continent you can find evidence of this. So this specific book consolidates all of the research I did in my previous two books in a very readable, enjoyable, understandable way to talk about how women did this practice what were the signs that, that it was going on? What was it all about? What were the stages of it? And then I apply all of that information to looking at one of Mother Mary's suppressed gospels that the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, rejected as official, did not put it in the New Testament, but continued to use it as the basis of Mary's feast days. And then in the Byzantine East, it was, it was consulted and used at times for masses and so forth. And in that gospel called the Infancy Gospel of James, we hear from an eyewitness um, who the, this James was one of Joseph's sons by a previous marriage. Joseph, the so-called husband of Mary, actually never married her, but he became her guardian. And he had previous children by another woman who had died when he was put together with Mary to be her guardian as a young girl at 12 years old. And this gospel, what I show, is that it, it, it tells us about Mary's own divine birth from her mother Anne, how Anne raised Mary as a sacred girl from infancy, and how Mary then at three years old was given over to the temple to be raised and trained by virgins. And that all of these women understood the practices of divine birth. They were teaching them to one another. And that Mary, because she was an extraordinarily high being, also through her own divine birth by her mother, was able to give birth to one of the most, if not the most, powerful avatars who has ever walked the planet to help humanity. That's the basic premise of the book. I love it. I love it so much. So can you tell us a little bit more about Anne and, 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 and what you know about Anne, the mother? Yes. So this gospel opens with Anne and Joachim, who again are paired up, but I make the, the case that they really are not formal, formal husband and wife, once again, Joachim is the guardian of Anne. 
He's the energetic supporter of her. And I make the case that she has been a divine birth priestess all of her life attempting to give birth to a special child through seemingly counter-biological means. Um, and, and that what happens is they are in a crisis moment where she's older now, this has not happened, and they really put the pedal to the metal and say, we've got to do this now. So Joachim goes out on a vision quest in the desert, and Anne goes into her garden, and she has what I describe as a, a divine birth ritual. And I go through all the steps in the book of what she did and how that relates to this knowledge and what the women in, in ancient Greece were doing. And then how it culminates in her being visited by a divine messenger, also known as an angel, an interdimensional being, these beings that help govern and work you know, this process and work with the women. And then it is announced that, that Anne has finally at long last succeeded in this divine conception. And she says, whether this be a boy or a girl, I will offer this, this person up to the temple um, you know, in honor of, of God. And so we go through you know, Anne's um, process. And then when the child is born, it is revealed that it's a girl. She names it Mary, and that name has special meanings. And then she raises her in, in the sanctuary of her bedroom for the first three years, and she has the priestesses of the temple, the virgins. There was a tradition of virgins in the Hebrew temple. Come and raise Mary with her, and they are doing special trainings and purifications with Mary, really getting her up to speed in this lifetime to remember what she knew from her past lives so that she can then go on to properly um, conceive in this very, very special way. So how, how did the, the uh, Hebrew priest treat Mary during that period of time? Do you have any information about how they treated her? Were they open to receiving who she was at that time, or were they in opposition? They were very open to it. And in fact, we have the presentation of Mary at the temple. And this is when, again, she's three years old. Before even this happens, when she's a year old, her parents host a big party for the entire Hebrew community, and the priests honor her. They give her a blessing that will not be surpassed by any other human being. So they've already recognized that this is a very special child. And then when, they, when she is brought to the Hebrew temple, it's to great fanfare. Um, the, the virgins bring her in. Mary is entered, is, uh, gains access to places in the temple that people ordinarily do not. She walks up the steps, and then she begins dancing at three years old. So this is telling us that these priestesses have already been training her in sacred dance, and she like a little um, savant uh, Dalai Lama knows and sort of turns this on and begins dancing. And the priests and everyone are completely delighted with this. And they take her in for this period of servitude, which is going to last until apparently, according to this gospel, until Mary's um, 
menarche, the time that she menstruates. But some scholars perceive in this gospel that actually she would have remained in the temple all during the conception of Jesus. So while she's there, we, we're given scant information about what happens, but I am able to analyze this information um, to show that, that she was being trained in a very deep way and she was opening her consciousness to these angels, so to speak, these interdimensional beings, these star beings, these light force beings who were clearly working with her and presumably um, the, the virgins of the temple so that when it comes to be showtime, she knows what to do. Wow. So I'm noticing in the book that you have on page 98 something called the Sacred Waters of the Well. Can you describe that particular event? Right. So um, is this the drink test? I'm just going to look at my own version just so that I, I know that I'm referencing the same thing here. Um, oh, yes. Okay. So... This is referencing, so the gospel, this gospel, this infancy gospel of James, which, by the way, was originally titled Birth of Mary, so we can see how the distortion happens by the theological and the scholarly community to completely erase Mary, (laughs) you know, and women um, just by a title change. Um, At this point in the book, I, I am grabbing what the gospel tells us in terms of what's happening while Mary is conceiving. And she is basically weaving. And basically what I show is that this is a metaphor for divine parthenogenetic conception. That is conception without a male or without male sperm. It is the soul woman at the, at the loom bringing in, weaving her DNA in a certain kind of way and, And I show how Mary goes through all of these different steps and stages. And at what you're talking about now, um, at one stage, she goes out to the well and she's drinking some water. And so she meets the angelic presence for the first time during the ritual right here. And so there's a tremendous amount um, that I unpack there. But just to briefly say about Mary with the water, the water jar that she's filling is a, uh, a reference to her womb. Her womb is the water jar that she's filling. This is, she is the vessel, and she is filling it up with the essence of the divine as she's working with the light matter interface in her own womb in, in various kinds of weaving actions and spinning actions okay, which reference what she's doing on the interdimensional planes. So that, that's a little teaser and tidbit for your listeners there. How's that? Yes, well, I, that I noticed that in here it talks about she takes up the purple thread and, puts it and, put, and sits down and begins to weave with it, and that really got my attention. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because the colors, the two colors of thread... What's happened in this ritual is that Mary has been gathered with these seven other virgins. So there are eight of them actually working in a group ritual. It's completely fascinating, you know, when you know how to apply this background research that I'd done. And it's describing that by lot, these women pick the various color threads that they're going to be weaving 
for the supposed temple veil, but there, it's not a temple veil that they're weaving. It is a divine conceptual ri- conception ritual that they are doing. And Mary picks the scarlet and the purple threads. And what I, I, I talk about the significance of those two threads and how they connect with the root chakra and the crown chakra and how the purple thread is the symbol of royalty. So um, it also seems to be, the scarlet thread seems to be an indicator that, okay, those are the women who are going to conceive divinely. Because guess who else is in this ritual? Her aunt Elizabeth, who conceived John the Baptist basically in the same ritual. So both, both of them picked the scarlet thread, and I surmise that that's a, an indicator a divine indicator that these are the ones who are going to be successful in the conception. You know, it makes me think of uh, the present time when you find a lot of women that have joined what they call the Red Hat Club and they wear red and purple. (laughs) That just came across my mind. Well, I mean, these are the kinds of things that we know on the inner planes. We remember these types of things we don't know how we're remembering or even what we're remembering but all of a sudden things like this surface right because it's in the akashic records right so what what does this mean for men at this moment in time to understand more about these kinds of stories do you think that men will accept uh, this new uh, way of presenting this material or do you think that they will go against it like they have in the past. What's your feeling about how the, the male uh, energy is going to take this information? Well, it will be um, depending on the man, but what I would say is that this story is not negating men or men's role in conception or anything else, even divine conception, because as I show in this book, as I explained Joseph and Joachim, the the respective consorts of Mary and Anne, have the backs of these women, and they support them energetically in what they're doing. So there is a role for the male as protector, as as energetic transmitter, uh, as space holder for these things to be going on. And secondly, what I'm describing in this book in particular is a divine conception, which is a relatively rare event usually done with conscious willed planning on the part of women who are specific holy women. So this is not a practice that has anything to do with doing away with men, doing away with sexual reproduction. We will always have um, the more conventional forms of reproduction. This is just a, a, a type of reproduction that, allows a high-level holy being to come into human incarnation to support all of humanity, okay? And in terms of um, powers that be, you know, if, if they play their cards right, they could understand that this is the, the greatest explanation and justification of one of the major world religions, if not more, two of them, Judaism and Christianity, um, and that it, it, it allows thinking people to embrace what has been forced to be doctrine because it seems to counter biology. 
but I show that, well, there, there is a way that these things can be done, and so nobody need get really upset about it. The people it will upset are those who really want control of this planet, who do not want humans to rise up and do not want women to know about this level of power that they contain in their womb because these people or these beings have their own agenda and they want to see and harvest humanity for, for their own purposes. So, um, but I think it will be very interesting to see uh, over time what most people in the world think about this, you know, what Christians think about this, non-Christians. I mean, it, it opens so many doors and it shuts others that should be shut. So I'm going to ask you, have you run into any of the women on the planet that have actually um, been able to give birth without a man? Have you ex- had conversations with other women that have had these experiences? Yes. Yeah, I have too. I have had con. Okay, blessed be. I I have had conversations, and we we can talk about your experience if you wish, you know. But uh, I have spoken to one woman in particular. I I saw from the time that she was pregnant until after she gave birth. Uh, I was with her in person for part of that journey. And then I saw her child on Zoom, and unfortunately, that child died early at three years old, because these children often um, are not are not held; they cannot be held on the planet. I do know of another story um, that happened in 1976. I write a little bit about this. Den Poitras writes about it more extensively because he knew this woman uh, in his book *Parthenogenesis* women's long-lost ability to self-conceive. And um, this woman was a high, holy practitioner. She was a breatharian. She, she was a very deeply spiritual woman. She was not practicing divine birth, but she did have a flash of light happen to her on Christmas Eve, which is always the sign of the conception, the flash of light. And, and an interdimensional messenger said, you have conceived. She apparently did conceive that child. It lived three months and then it died. I I have never met her. I believe she's still alive. I've tried to contact her, but she is incommunicado about this issue. Um, I do know of a Hindu woman who is a high holy woman. She and her Swami husband conceived interdimensionally when he was away. And that child is alive and well. So it's a bit of a different story there. So, um, you know, I know of other different types of stories where there are sort of intermediary stages of pregnancies where these women may or may not be bringing these children to terms or these are prolonged pregnancies, different things like that. So I'll pause there and certainly we, if, if you wish to share anything on your end, that would be fascinating. Well, when I lived in Cripple Creek in the early 80s, there was about seven years there where I mean, it was happening just all the time. I was getting phone calls, and people would drive up and knock on my door and say, please explain to me what's happening to me. You know, I have a lot of a lot of uh, history with uh, the, the Immaculate Conception uh, concept. And also, wow. 
I have a lot of history with the Vanishing Twins with hybrids aboard ship. So at some time you oh, and I yeah. can about that. But I, I won't well, see, really. And you know what, Lavendar, this is another, that's like the hijacked version of divine birth. All of these interdimensional abductions and, and pregnancies and so forth and, and, and taking away of the children, et cetera. Right, right. There's a lot, but there's a lot going on that there's women don't really. On and I, yeah, and I'm like lifting the lid on this now because it's time. And yeah. uh, that is fascinating if you were having women uh, coming to you because they knew you had knowledge about this and they were saying, I don't know how I'm pregnant or whatever it was that they were saying. I mean, these stories really, it'd be wonderful if they could be collected. So well, we could I, see I what's what. I have saved some of the stories. Yeah, I have. I've. Uh, I don't have them with me now where I'm living, but I, I have them. I, I had to put a lot of my information in a bank vault and had to hold it for 25 years and wait for the kids that were born after 1980. They had to be up and grown before I could release the information out of the bank vault, and that's. And the, and these stories are part of it. Well, I understand the need for the protection, because you know. The the, yeah, no. <laughs> two, the two women's children the two women's children died, um, you know, and and it's yeah this this thing needs to be deeply protected when it does go on. Yes, yes. Of course, so what, until until our planet turns a corner and we don't need these levels of protection anymore because we have thrown off the shackles of these beings. Right. So what kind of thoughts do you have about the Pope and the Catholics um, finding out the, the truth about what you're writing about? What's your, what's your head well, about the Catholic Church? <clears throat> so, you know, this book is for anyone who wants to look into a different timeline and reality regarding Mother Mary because it will be medicine for them to understand her powers and therefore all women's powers in a new way. For people who are very much connected and attached to the traditional view of how Mary is presented, they can have their truth. Um, If the Catholic Church wants to persist in what they're saying, they can do it. They can have their truth. There may be people within Catholicism and outside of Catholicism who become fascinated by this material, persuaded by it, decide that it's useful for them to look at and consider, that it's meaningful to their lives, and that they want to pursue it. And not only that, but they want to deepen it. And maybe there will be other people writing about this, researching about it, and certainly practicing it. So it's it's going to be a mixed bag, you know, as to how it's going to be received uh, by the powers that be. I honestly don't know. I mean, let's hold an open thought. Let's hold a good thought, because I think um, in this time right now of great dissembling and great uh, crumbling, supposedly, of a lot of institutions, you know, it, it may be that it needed to be this time before this material could come out in a big way because I've been really dealing with this material for almost 20 years and my first books came out in 2009 and 10 
to much smaller audiences. Now with this book, because it's accessible and it's about Mary and people can identify with Mary in a way they can't with the Greek priestesses, um, it could be a potentially bigger deal. So I'm, I'm holding open that, you know, this, this information coming out is not to create the combat. It's to create openings. Yeah, good. So let, I, I did not know that you had these other two books, and I realized that in one of the books you talk a lot about Athena. My understanding about Athena is that she had 96 goddesses that she trained before she left the planet, and each one of these 96 goddesses was in charge of one bloodline. So what I was tracking in 2012 wasn't so much the Mayan calendar as it was the bloodlines that were being reactivated on the planet. And one of those bloodlines was Jesus that they were in charge wow. of. And that's some of the information that I've been holding for a very long time. So did you notice that after 2012 that there was a great opening for a lot of people to be talking about Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and all these different subject matters They just kind of came wide open? After 2012? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm yes, finding. All of a sudden, on mass, people were talking about Christ consciousness in a, you know, even though material about Mary Magdalene had been coming out since the 90s. But yes, I felt that. That's when I started my school, Seven Sisters Mystery School. It, it's, it was a pivotal year for so many people. I, I hear so many people say, well, in 2012, I this, I that, you know. And, um, yeah, it, it was a turning point. And what you're saying about Athena is completely fascinating. I mean, I'm sure we could sit down and have a long talk about how do these things converge? How does yeah. Athena converge with the Christed Master, the Ma Mother Mary, you know, all of this? kind of thing. I, I do write extensively about Athena as being a divine uh, virgin mother goddess yes, originally. Ab yeah, absolutely. And that then, though, however, the Anunnaki took her, and here's where I start getting hot under the collar, uh, okay. the Anunnaki beings known as the Greek, the, uh, the Greek male gods took her and Zeus um, put her through the mesh of like his own being to give birth to a uh, a diminished version of her that was warring and supporting of the patriarchy. But originally she was a full-blown wisdom goddess who was also a virgin mother. And therefore, somehow, her priestesses in Greece still retain that valence of virgin motherhood, but it was a little more skewed toward the Amazon type of priestess rather than like a Mother Mary or a Mother Anne. Um, and, and Medusa was one of these priestesses of Athena, I mean, as a real historical woman, the dreadlocks, you know what I mean? Not snakes, oh, yeah. dreadlocks. <laughs> and, and, but, you know, she met her demise at, by the, the son of, a divine, of another divine birth priestess, Danai. And uh, I was shown that this was my previous, one of my previous incarnations was Danai, who was basically rape seduced by Zeus when she was trying to conceive parthenogenetically. He came into the work, essentially impregnated her during that ritual. She gave birth to Perseus. And then Perseus, they were all caught in a kind of a trap. Perseus, in order to save his mother's um, virginity after that, 
was conscripted to go and cut off Medusa's head. I don't think he really wanted to, but he ended up doing it. And that was a great travesty. So, um, you know, these are, these are intricate, intense stories. I, I've tried to expose them and unravel them in the cult of divine birth in ancient Greece and my second book, Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity. There's so much that could be discussed. And obviously, you know, with people like you getting their own information and downpours, um, there's a lot more even than what's in the Greek stories. Right. So let me ask you, can you tell us a little bit about your feelings about the Vestal Virgin period where they were trained to be um, Vestal Virgins? Do you have some information you can share about that? I absolutely do, and I write about this in this book, The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception. I've been waiting to expose this information to the world for so long, and now it's finally there because I'm showing that there was context for what Mary was doing, but these, these are the girls in the Roman world, in Rome. Um, while Mary is conceiving the highest level avatar ever to have walked the planet, these girls for generations have been conscripted by the Roman machine to keep the flame of Rome alive, ever lit, which is basically their womb power, their yoni shakti power to fuel the entire Roman machine. And what I show is that these girls, I believe, were doing occult rituals, hidden rituals of divine birth, so that by this time it was really going underground and it was being hijacked and used for goodness knows what purposes and goodness knows who was born as a result of these types of impregnations but we do know that some of the roman emperors were really quite crazy and perhaps they were being born through these mechanisms whatever the case may be the girls were being highly controlled highly conscripted they could they were brought in at six years old they had to spend 30 years um, you know, working for the roman state remaining virgins and if they ever broke their virginity vow outside of whatever crazy rituals they might have been raped in, you know, uh, they, they would be uh, buried alive. So this is a horror show. And uh, I feel that this really needs to be exposed to the world, that, that, that this Roman Empire was fueling itself off the holy womb power of girls and young women. Wow. I can't wait to uh, read that particular chapter in this book. I also noticed mm-hmm. on your website that you have um, a great deal of information about fairies. And I, I noticed yes. that now, for some reason, the elemental kingdom it has arisen. <laughs> it's It's gone right. into gear on the planet. I don't know how much you know about what's recently been happening in certain places in the world, but I'm very interested to know um, how you came upon this fairy information and what because uh, when I looked at you, I went, oh, you're a, you, you do have fairy in, in your bloodline, and I saw that on your yeah. picture. Yeah, that's interesting. It took me a long time to realize that, even though my name means blooming daisy. I mean, Marguerite is a daisy, and regal yozo is an adjective used to describe vigorous, blooming plant life. 
<laughs> so I'm like, oh, my God, you know, you can't make this stuff up, right? So um, how I got interested in fairies, you know, I'd really have to think, like, how did, what was my beginning um, with them? I know that along the way I was captivated by what was going on at Findhorn in, in Scotland, which was a big repository for reawakening of fairy energy on the planet through their planting and the founders being able to talk to these beings and so forth. Um, I, I'll have to think on that, Lavendar, because like, I can't remember the exact point, but I started getting an awareness of them as more than just cute little hallmark figures, <laughs> uh, you know, I just start, as I was having these spiritual awakenings, you start realizing that all of these other interdimensional beings are real. Everything that was once mythological or fictional actually exists, always has. They've just pulled the veil over them because uh, these beings who have this agenda don't want humanity to get empowered uh, and one of the ways that we get empowered is by connecting with the fairies and the she, who are our kin. And even, you know, David Spangler, who is a great writer about these she beings who are related to the fairies, uh, says that, that his fairy guide told him that basically, you know, Mother Mary is in the lineage of the she. So it all starts converging, Right. And I just became acutely aware of, of the reality of the plants, the spirit of the plants. The redwoods were a big teacher for me in this regard. And I remember attending a workshop by Lazarus, Jack Purcell, uh, where we met our fairy kin. And um, that was just a moving opening to me. And then I, when I started actually talking to my plants and they went from dying to thriving, I thought, oh, gosh, you know, this is really serious here. Um, of course, the fairies don't take anything seriously, right? They, you know, but of course they would be coming in big time now because the veils were covered over their reality for, for many God knows how long. And now with all of the earth crises going on, they, they for sure are like, hello, our human friends, nudge, nudge. Uh, you're destroying the environment and you're not only destroying us, but you're destroying ourselves. We need to, uh, you're destroying yourselves. We need to work together. Hey, we are all about fun. We are all about pleasure. We are all about ease and grace. We are all about love of Mother Earth. So let's inspire you to get into permaculture and ecological preservation and, and so forth, because it's going to benefit everybody. So let me ask you, does this have something to do with what I call the violet blood? Do you think the violet blood has a different kind of frequency that produces um, beings that can be seen interdimensionally or fairies? Or have you, have you run across anything about the violet blood on the planet? No, but as you said it, I got a downpour that was like, okay, yeah, the violet blood is a way of describing them. And it, it, it does have to do with things we don't fully yet understand about the nature of DNA, the nature well, of blood, call, the different... I call it the genie blood. I call it people right. that have genie 
magical energies has has violet blood. That makes total sense to me. And I think it has to do with energetic vibration, what kinds of DNA is turned on and turned off, and, and all of that. Just things that scientifically we are just in the dark about, but yes. that we knew in Atlantis, we knew in Lemuria, um, knowledge that we're returning to once again. Yes, I mean, and the thing is that human beings are learning how to traverse between the dimensions. And that's basically what the advent of the Christed Master Jesus and Blessed Mother and Magdalene are all about, to help us return to our, uh, our divine human blueprint and become the true anthropos, is how it's described in these ancient Gnostic texts and so forth, meaning the fully fleshed divine human and so they are here, you know, not to be worshipped, but they are here to serve as teachers, helpers, models for our own ascension or what I call incension because I feel that it's an inner job. It's an inside job. It's not about popping out of the earth plane, popping out of your body. It's about going deeper, deeper into the dimensions. And, and that may have a physical um, component to it you know like the fairies and the she are, are a phase shift away they're in fifth dimensional or higher reality and I think that we are learning how to do that again as a species have you had any kind of um, information about inner earth and and how it intersects with the, with the elementals and fairies up on the planet yeah, you know, that's such a great question, and it's, I feel like it's a nut that I haven't yet cracked or gotten the information on, but um, we've heard a lot of stories about the inner earth, and we hear the stories of the, the Tuat Didanan, if I'm correctly pronouncing them, that they are said to have gone underground, right, gone into the earth when a big travail happened on, on the planet. I think that going into the earth is a way of describing going into these interdimensional realms, which may or may not have a physical component physically inside the earth. I'm not sure. It could be, or it could be that it's an inner domain, and that's the only way that three-dimensional mind can describe it, inner earth. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we've heard so much talk about literal inner earth civilizations. I know of people who literally have gone into Telos in, in Mount Shasta, for example, and driven the cars and seen the civilization, not in, a, not in a, a meditation, but they literally have been up there and a guy goes, hey, come on over, and, you know, all of a sudden they're inside there, you know. So th- there's so many stories, um, but it might be both and, you know, the inner is the outer, the innie is the outie, as my comedy beings always say and and uh i think there's just so much more to learn about that now you you, you've written a book about the fairies right i have not you must be seeing a future book oh i am you must be you must be seeing it on the astral plane thank you very much and they're all clapping like yay we were wondering when marguerite was going to do this book about us it'll be a while you know um i'm occupied right now with mary but 
um, like I said, I think Mary converges with the she, which are a race akin to the humans, um, and they are, I see them as guardians of the fairies. Uh, they are in that realm, but they're, they're more like the big brothers and big sister guardians. So I have been teaching about, you know, I have classes on fairies, and I've, I've given some workshops and things, but uh, that's to come. And boy, won't that be a wonderful project, because whenever you deal with the fairies, you're dealing with lightness. Oh, I know. Serendipity, <laughs> abundance. You know, we should all be writing and talking about fairies all day long. I mean, our lives would change. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm really anxious for you to write that book because uh, <laughs> when, I, when I saw on your website, I said, oh, she must have a book about fairies. Look at all this information. And your website yeah. is beautiful, by the way. It's, it's done very Thank well. It, and it has so many, as you read it, it's coded. As you read it, the codes get into your system. You, whoever has well, put it together is a master. Uh, yeah, you know, um, thank you so much. I mean, I have a beautiful designer named Mariah Lander who's done a lot of the artwork. And in terms of codes, I feel like, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that I put out there does have codes, some of which I know, some of which I don't know. You know, So there's multiple layers. And, and by the way, it is sevensistersmysteryschool.com in case your listeners are wanting to know. The seven is written out, S-E-V-E-N, sevensistersmysteryschool.com. That's where they can find um, more information about my book, classes that I have done on Mother Mary, on the Holy Womb Chakra, on the Divine Birth Mysteries of Ancient Greece, and more. And I have a, a Mother Mary Love and Empowerment Circle coming up. May 12th through June 16th, a weekly six weeks where we are going to be calling on, opening the door to, and basking in the energy of Mother Mary to help us, again, come into alignment and turn on that DNA, receive the healing and the grace, and come into our hearts, which is so critical right now. Above all, these beings and the divine birth practice is about bringing in, becoming a priestess that can master the sacred heart and bringing in beings who can master the sacred heart to help the rest of us master the sacred heart because it is the love energy that is what's going to get us through this initiation and into the fifth dimension. Right. I wanted to ask you, Marguerite, when, do you have any knowledge of your birth? Did, did, did you remember your birth? Were you awake and, and had full no. time you came to the planet? Oh, alas, I was not. Um, and I understand that my mother had a prolonged uh, pre- birthing with me. And in the end, she had an episiotomy. So I must remember something because I remembered being infuriated to hear that doctors were giving women episiotomies to make the pregnancy go faster, the, the, the birthing go faster. But... Um, no, I, I don't. I wasn't awake. I mean, it, it really took a while for me to hook into my mission. Um, you know, I started hooking into it in my, in my early 30s, really. Um, but I, I have always had a very big anger about alien abductions and that women need to guard their wombs and this and that. And I've always had a fascination 
for uh, experiencers. I, I early on went to these lectures that John Mack, the now deceased John Mack of Harvard University, would give in the Boston area with people he had regressed hypnotically who experienced abductions and things like that. And I never quite really put it all together until I went to a channeler, um, Carl Mollison, and he, he channeled that I had been abducted as a child. Now, in my mind, I have six years old, six years old. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't have any memories of that. But I certainly have a whole bunch of chutzpah and annoyance at the idea of these alien abductions and, and how this is the desecration of the holy womb. This is the use of divine birth principles with an Atlante, beyond Atlantean high-tech mechanism, uh, you know, to, to, you know, use and harvest human women and human bodies when, when, when these women were, like Mary, were knowing how to bring forth the highest level angelics and masters on the planet, uh, or, or to the planet, from the interdimensional realm. So, you know, again, we are looking now at this abduction of human women's wombs and women needing to learn what's going on and how to say no and how to say yes to higher forms of conception. Right, right. Well, in the future, I don't know how many years it will be in the future, but there will be something that will happen. There will be a lot of retreats built on the planet, and it will be for galactic post-traumatic stress. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, it will I, be. I think that is so right on, you know, because people are stunned into amnesia right now. They, they they don't even know what's happening, and the other half of the people are like, "Oh, that isn't real," you know. And who knows? I really don't want to, you know, see anything to prove to me that it is real. I really do not want to see anything running around. I I just do not need. I know that. it's real. Okay, it's, I it's enough. All of it, I know it's, it's enough real. to just imagine it. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of people who have for levels of seeing and whatever, but um, you know, my role here is to uh, lift the veil on some of these deep womb practices of women so that we can resurrect and restore the sanctity of the womb and the practices that are needed to elevate humanity once more, be it by bringing in divine avatars or through higher levels of conscious conception between men and women. Right. Well, you're doing an excellent job of bringing this information forth, and I can't wait to to read your fairy book. But at this time, I would like to <laughs> at this time I would like to pass you over to my co-host Arielle. She has the switchboard. Would you be willing, maybe, to take some questions from some of our listeners? Sure. If there are listeners around, I would be happy to. And thank you so much, Lavender. I mean, I can really feel your knowledge. And uh, it would be nice to be able to talk to you uh, at some point I, I on think, a personal basis. I think that you and I need to talk. Um, so yeah. if you would if you would send me your your phone number so I can call you, I would I would appreciate that so much. I will definitely do. Because we yeah. have a lot to we'll talk do. about, and I'm so excited that you're on the planet. This gives me Bless great hope. And likewise, you know, it's like when I started this work, 
in the obscurity of my own office in, uh, you know, Kentfield, California at the time. I, I was doing this. Luckily, I had a supportive partner at the time who, who helped keep me sane as all this information was coming through, both academically and intuitionally. I got the very strong message that this information was going to go out there and it was going to touch a lot of people. And it's taken a while. It's taken more than a decade uh, to touch people at the level at which I was indicated that it would. So it's just so wonderful to meet people like you also who carry information because I'm, I'm looking to connect with women like that. I'm also looking to connect with women about their stories and to discover whether there is an unbroken lineage of divine birth on the planet. Oh, absolutely. When we talk, I'll t- I will talk to you about that when we talk. Blessed be. Yeah, Ooh, everybody. Everybody listening wants to be, a, you know, a fly on the wall of that conversation. <laughs> They're like, put it on speaker. <laughs> the, All the right. Well, who of, knows what will? The bloodline of yeah. Jesus is still going on. That I can tell you. Wonderful. Yeah. All Wonderful. over the planet. And that's right. And you know, because he really is fractalized, he. He can awaken within each of us, right? You know, uh, this is the second coming also. Um, so it's open to everyone, regardless of bloodline, if you hear, heed the call, right? Right. Absolutely. So at this time, I'll pass you over to Ariel, my co-host, and be sure and send me your phone number because we need to talk really soon. Okay. <laughs> okay. And when we'll you write do. the fairy book, you got to come back on, Okay. All right. <laughs> and in fact, any time that you have anything that you need to tell our Starseed listeners, because the people that are that listen to our show, they're awake. They're awake, I know. or they would. I know. I even listening to the news, uh, you know, prior to this, I, I just felt like, whoa, have I really entered back into Lemuria? Like I, I was just getting these hits of, of, oh, I have so envisioned a place where there's good news, like the news is always good news, right? And these, these things that, that um, your person was talking about, it, I was like, okay, I'm getting the vibe <laughs> of who these listeners are. This is fantastic. <laughs> good. Yeah. So much love to you and, and you. kudos for, for taking the time to write the books and to be who you are now on the planet. You give us great hope. So back to oh. you, Ari. Thank you. Thank you, Lavendar. Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, this has just been a very, very um, a powerful episode interview. Um, mm. And I know that Lavendar really wants to talk to you um, mm-hmm. about some other mm-hmm. things and give you some information. Mm-hmm. But um, as you mm-hmm. were talking, you said something about uh, was it your comedy guide? Oh, yeah, my is, comedy being. Hello, Lori and Sylvia, we thought you'd never ask. Here we are. <laughs> we are from Long Island in the fifth dimension, and uh, we like to help keep it light for Marguerite because she's so serious. Well, how wonderful that Marguerite has um, some uh, support and uh, options to talk to you. <laughs> um, so... Sylvia and Gloria. Gloria and Sylvia. 
That's right. We're here. We're and, available. And, and how, how Marguerite how, asks us, she asks us, did she make us up? And we say, did we make you up? <laughs> All right? But, you know, like, let's, let's, let's get philosophical on a very deep level here. So how long have you been um, working together well, with Marguerite? Well, you know, we, she finally got hit to us years ago when she was in her, you know, expanded state of consciousness, as she likes to call it. And uh, we started coming in and we started talking to her. We were, we were helping with different perspectives on it. We have our own comedy show. She never talks about this. But we have our own comedy show. It's called Karma Talk, and it's on the Seven Sisters Mystery School site. You know, if you go into free resources, you see it, Gloria and Sylvia, Karma Talk. We have shows, talk about many different topics. You'll be laughing your heads off. As, as I just said to a friend of mine, that, that laughter is the best medicine because at no time is your frequency higher than when you're laughing and joyful. That's right. You know, humor is the greatest God of all. Forget about Jesus. <laughs> you need to look at humor. All right, humor is the big honcho. And if you want to know who's going to bring everybody to a higher vibration, as well as who's going to protect everybody, it's humor. Why do you think the Buddha was laughing? Oh, right. Right, and and finding finding humor in in everyday life and irony and helping other people to laugh is a great right. gift. It is a great gift. Absolutely, and we are telling Marguerite that we want to have the Gloria and Sylvia pocketbooks, sheets, and uh, you know T-shirts. We want to have our our faces on all of this to remind people she needs merch okay so but it's if anybody could help out with this merch part of it uh it's really going to help humanity it's all well and good she's doing these books and whatnot and so on but everybody needs to be laughing well everybody wants it when you think about the best times you've ever had in your life it's the times when you were laughing until your cheeks hurt and your sides were aching, um, and you can go back to that moment any time and recapture that frequency, especially when nothing seems to be funny at the time. That's when you need it the most. That's right, and especially when you're listening to our show. So we're telling everybody to go right to that show, Karma Talk. We have at least 10 episodes, if not more. We have another one coming out soon. And, uh, yeah, you know, we're regulars with Marguerite. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. So um, do, you, do you help her when she's writing? Let's put it this way. We are an underutilized resource if she ever wanted to call upon us when she's writing. But she's so serious that, uh, you know, we have to get a retention in the shower. Uh, <laughs> we have to work it at, at, at other times. All right, we we know our place. We we don't try to uh, get too invasive with her. 
Well, that's that's very uh, respectful. And uh, have you ever um, lived in a third dimensional form? No, we we exist purely, you know, in the higher dimensional realms, and uh, because we are yentas for the Pleiades, all right, and uh, Andromeda, we have paired up people all over on the interdimensional realms, and uh, we're, we're trying to work on it for Marguerite to find a partner, all right? We have a show coming up on that. For Marguerite to find a partner? Yeah, that's right, because, uh, you know, she needs a partner. She's talking about Joseph, Joachim, all these people who were the consorts of the high priestesses. And uh, what does she got? She needs somebody. Uh, well, you could have a T-shirt with <laughs> some advertisement on there. Uh, that That's just, you're making me laugh, and I thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. And so we feel that maybe we should give it back over to Marguerite now. What do you think? Okay. Well, thank you so much for making an appearance and, and sharing your your wonderful view with our audience. Well, we have to tell you, this is the very first time, the first podcast where we have come out of the closet. So, uh, you know, thank you very much. Well, you're very welcome because when I read about – um, the comedy beings, uh, I thought, I-, I love comedy. What is that all about? And then when she mentioned that, you know, just kind of like in passing in a sentence, I thought, i got to find out about that when it's my turn to talk. So I'm glad I could give you a turn to talk as well. Well, thank you so much. You know, we come in and out of our classes and all that, that type of thing. But uh, this is, let's say, our public unveiling. Along with Jesus and Mary, we are in good company, don't you think? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we'll look for a, a, a book of, of laughter. Oh, yeah, we have plans. You know, we want her to write another book with us, and uh, it's coming. She's, she's going to be a busy girl, believe you us. Well, <laughs> well, good. Thank you so much for making an appearance. You're welcome, you're welcome, and uh, mazel tov to you. (laughs) To you as well. So, Marguerite. Hello. Are you? (laughs) I'm here. That was was unexpected and wonderful. I know. I know, completely unplanned because, you know, oh, my gosh, in any event. All right. That was like the longest dialogue they've ever had with somebody <laughs> wow yeah well, they, just... <laughs> they usually come in and out just for little choice moments in classes and things like that yeah well they're uh they're now in the in the cyber world on this podcast <laughs> yeah they have been gunning for that for so long you have no idea uh well, that was that was really a a, a wonderful lift, and That's and thank so you. I had, I had no i no idea that they were just going to step in. Oh yeah, well you can go look and see what they look like on the Karma Talk show because there's <laughs> there's an image. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I want everyone to go check out Seven Sisters Mystery School dot com. 
and all of the areas of the website are are wonderful. But especially, let's uh, let's stop by and say hi to Gloria and Sylvia for their karma <laughs> talk. Absolutely. Gosh. Yeah. Well, you know, I think this is a good place to wrap it up because I'm just feeling really jovial. Sure. <clears throat> and let's just oh, savor wonderful. that. But you do you do need to come back. Um, this has just oh, been delightful, wow. and and we would For love sure. to have you back um, very soon. After you talk to Lavendar, you guys can work it out. All right. Well, you know, I just really send a blessing to your listeners because anybody who's a star seed identifies as a star seed or thinks they might be. Uh, bless you. You're you're so needed on the planet right now, and I'm so glad you're here. I know that um, so many people are so glad you're here. For many starseeds, it has not been an easy journey. And so I hope that anything that has been offered today has, have, has been keys to unlock doors and um, supports for you to just help you hang in there, trust your intuition, trust your seeing, know that we, we are globally working together and uh you know i i pray for your strengthening well there are more and more star seeds waking up as we've been talking about for oh gosh almost 2 years um the the influx of star seeds is just mind boggling and and wondrous yeah. at the same time as people wake up Absolutely. and they're like okay you know time to get to work <laughs> wake up go to yes. work so um, that's right. Yeah, I'm so I'm I'm looking forward to um, having you back on the show myself, and and make sure um, you, you invite invite Sylvia and Gloria as well. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Will do. All right, my dear. Thanks to all of you. Really, uh, this has been delightful. Okay, and you have a you have a wonderful Pleiadian lineup next next month, between the fifteenth ah. and the twentieth. We are in alignment with the Pleiades, and oh, we yes, will be of in. Of course, May. Right, we will be. Um, yeah, when the sun is at galactic degree in Taurus, that's Pleiadian lineup for May, and then it happens again in November oh. when it's at galactic degree in Scorpio, and um, yeah. it's going to be really big. Blessed be. Yeah, and there's probably some connection there with May being the month of Mary as well. So. It's all connected. Oh, yes, absolutely. So the Pleiades thank are you big. so much. Wait, I could talk about them a lot as well. <laughs> Another time. <laughs> yeah, with well, like like I said, yeah. we got to have you come back. We got to have you come back. All right. Okay, all right, Marjorie. My dear. Thank you so much for your work on the planet. You're welcome. And for the light that you share so freely. You're welcome. Thanks for having me here, Ariel. You're you're more than welcome. So that is it for us tonight, everyone, and we'll be back in two weeks, I think. I have to check the timings as to when we're actually leaving for Arkansas, but I think we'll be back in two weeks. Um, and until then, take care and remember to hold the gratitude in your heart and give compassion freely because that is the door to the fifth dimension. Good night, everyone. been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 